Hello and welcome to this episode of Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and with me is Jared Riddick, the archivist from Book of Mormon Central. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. And uh, we are continuing with Chapter 17 of Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. This would probably be the last chapter in the book that talks heavily about geography. Yeah. So we uh, we definitely want to make clear kind of the setting in which George Q. Cannon was talking as far as the historical setting, because as we know throughout history, Book of Mormon geography went through many different models and continues to do so today. There's over a hundred that I know of that, yeah, that are being a, floated. There are a fair few. Yeah. So how would we describe George Q. Cannon's approach to Book of Mormon geography, specifically as he talks in this chapter? He is a hemispheric model. All of North and South America um, are part uh, encompasses geography. And so the land of Mulek is North America. The land of Lehi is South America. That's where he's at, and the narrow neck of land is Panama. And that's pretty. That's a simplistic view of it, very, very much so. And if you're approaching it as President Cannon was, not wasn't well traveled in this area in the world, especially uh, South America. Most of the saints weren't at this point. What, the, what they're they're dependent upon books, and yeah. maps. Well, and he quotes from Orson Pratt a footnote that was in an early edition of the Book of Mormon that essentially talks about this. Early for us, only four years old for him. Um, yeah. Saying that the Lehi landed on the 30th or the 33rd parallel, I can never quite recall. Yeah, let me, uh, let me pull it up real quick. It's uh, the 30th degree of south latitude and 26 degrees latitude outside of Ecuador. Mm-hmm. So these very much talking uh, landing in South America. Yes. And that is based off a uh, purported statement of Joseph Smith that was recorded by Frederick G. Williams. And it was actually only probably about a year before, as uh, President Cannon was writing this, that was attributed to Joseph, they think, by Franklin D. Richards. But it was years after he had, it was 40 years after he had died. Yeah, this is a a generation later. So it's really hard to know if Joseph ever said this, and it's really hard to give it any credibility in the sense that in the last 40 years, nobody was talking about it. Yeah, and even in Joseph's day, nobody was really that heavy into that. Yeah, they're mainly fo- focused on the doctrinal proofs of the Book of Mormon rather than the uh, physical proofs. Although they loved those when they popped along. They'd take whatever evidence they could get at that point. Yeah. Around 1909, B.H. Roberts is casting doubt on this statement. Uh, Frederick G. Williams III actually wrote a pretty good article called the Lehigh Land in Chile in 1992 and re-exploring the Book of Mormon, which will be the featured archive item the week this episode will go out. So for listeners who are curious, I, I would encourage you to go to Book of Mormon Central's website and check the, uh, check the archive for that. It's a nice short article. Yeah. I recently came back from Bogota, Colombia, which is just north of Ecuador and where some of these things are purported to have taken place, according to George Q. Cannon. And when I looked around, I looked around and saw the Andes Mountain. This was not flat terrain. This was not easy area to traverse. But in his, this chapter, he talks about the travels of Nephi after he separated from his brethren and so on. And there's a lot of, let's just say, supposition based mm-hmm. on how far they could have traveled in X amount of time. Yeah. So we don't see this hemispheric model talked about much anymore. And part of that changed as we, we can look back on history and see that a limited, more limited area geography was started to be brought forth in the 1930s. But what were some of the uh, what were some of the reasons that maybe scholarship abandoned this idea of a hemispheric model? I think it was an increased close reading of the text and the kind of 
annihilation or collapse of distance where we have more knowledge now about the areas that before had only been spoken about with knowledge gained from books. Now there's practical experience in South America, Central America, whereas before President Cannon's experience and the experience of many others is limited to North America generally. And it was limited to what he experienced crossing the plains. Yeah, he, he does harken back quite a bit to uh, the pioneers. Yeah. And uh, the distances across the plains are not the distances traversing through wilderness. So this is a question that I want to ask, and and I'm asking it knowing farewell that it's probably unanswerable. <laughs> but just give me your best shot on this. That's what I can do. We postulate these locations for early Nephite locations. But we also have in 3rd Nephi, around the time of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, statements that there were great changes in the face of the land. There were mountains where there were cities and so on. There's all sorts of changes to the land. So what can we actually determine our actual locations, understanding that the book itself claims that there were almost catastrophic changes Mm -hmm. to the land that was back then. Can we even know where these locations were if the land has changed so much? That statement in 3rd Nephi is both a help and a hindrance to Book of Mormon geographers. It's brought up to dismiss shortcomings in models by saying, well, these things fit and the other things don't fit because... That must have been where things changed. That must have been where things changed. But I think the real strength for Book of Mormon geography, and, and I'm... I hesitate to use the term, but I'm, I'm relatively agnostic on where the Book of Mormon <laughs> took place. Uh, I neutral. Be- yeah, neutral, neutral. Neutral. I believe that it did p- take place, and I'm open to the best evidence for where that took place, but I'm not particularly tied to any geographic model. I believe the best strength comes from the examination of cultural practices. Uh, geography is great. We like having things tied to a real location. I, 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 do the, I, I studied the Civil War. That's one of my favorite topics in the world. And I can go to Gettysburg, I can go to Antietam, I can go to Harper's Ferry, I can go to all these places and experience it the way they did. We want to have that same experience for Book of Mormon geography. Well, we do for early church history. We do for early church history. Uh, we discussed Trek, or we were discussing Trek <laughs> before we started the interview and uh, the traumas and benefits of that, uh, that institution. <laughs> but I think we're trying to fulfill a need that we might not need to have fulfilled. Okay, that's fair. Well, one of the things that we do see with Book of Mormon geography is that there are consistencies in the geography that's discussed before and after the time of Christ. And so we know that there are things that did stay the same. But it is interesting. We have George Q. Cannon here drawing upon what he attributed to be a revelation from Joseph Smith mm-hmm. that it took place in a certain area. And we see other groups and other models that come up today where they also claim the same thing, but for other locations that supposedly came from Joseph Smith. And, and I think, if anything, that we can take away from this is what you said. The church's position of neutrality is, is probably the safest. And, and the fact that if we, if we strictly go by what we attribute to what a prophet might have said at some point in time, that might be contradicted by something that prophet said in another time. And we have an example of that because we have eight, uh, six years later, President Cannon himself Uh, urging students of the Book of Mormon, this is in the juvenile instructor, uh, to avoid contention and confusion and to to exercise caution in drawing all the information possible from the record which has been translated from our benefit. So even Cannon, who who wrote this in the life of Nephi, talking about South America, would go on to say, don't put too much weight into that. Yeah. So we also have uh, a little bit more in the the section on, on geography, but I think we've 
we've probably beaten that horse to death. So let's it's glue. It's <laughs> this this topic is glue. I like that. Uh, but let's go on now to the reading of chapter seventeen, and stay tuned for next week for chapter 18's discussion on the Rare Possessions podcast. Life of DeFi by George Q. Cannon Chapter 17 After they separated from Laman and Lemuel, Nephi and his company traveled for many days in the wilderness and reached a land where they determined to settle. They selected for it the name of their leader, and it was called Nephi. Nephi does not state in what direction he and his company traveled after separating from his brethren, but it is plain from the allusions which are subsequently made to this land of Nephi by other writers that they took their journey northward. It appears plain also that they traveled some distance in that direction. As Nephi was always careful to seek the guidance of the Lord in his movements, he was undoubtedly led by him to the land where they settled. It is stated by Elder Orson Pratt in a footnote to the new edition of the Book of Mormon that the land of Nephi is supposed to have been in or near the country now called Ecuador. This supposition is based on the general understanding that the river called the Sidon in the Book of Mormon, is that now known as the Magdalena in our geographies. If this is correct, we can locate the land of Zarahemla with tolerable accuracy from the references which are made to it in the Book of Mormon, and as journeys were made between those two lands, Nephi and Zarahemla, and in one instance the time occupied in the journey is given about 22 days. Some idea can be obtained of the distance between these two places. But there are reasons for thinking that the land called Nephi was an extensive region and that it reached much farther south than the country now known as Ecuador. Nearly four centuries after Nephi and his company separated from Laman and Lemuel and their companions, a prophet by the name of Mosiah was warned by the Lord to flee out of the land of Nephi and to take with them all the Nephites who would hearken unto the voice of the Lord. They were led by the power of God through the wilderness to the land of Zarahemla. Afterwards, some of the children of those who thus fled had a desire to return to the old home of their fathers, and expeditions were fitted out for that purpose. One of them under Zenith was successful in securing a foothold in that land, though it had by that time been taken possession of by the Lamanites. By treaty with the king of the Lamanites, Zenith and his people were permitted to occupy the cities of Lehi, Nephi, and Shilom, and the contiguous lands. They erected buildings and repaired the walls of those cities and cultivated the ground. Zenith became their king. His son Noah succeeded him. In his days, Alma, a descendant of Nephi, baptized a number of people and organized them into a church. Being persecuted by King Noah, they left that country and after meeting various adventures, reached Zarahemla. They numbered when they started 450 souls and we learn that the journey occupied about 22 days. This leads to the conclusion that the city of Lehi-Nephi from which they started could not have been further south than the country now called Ecuador. But the inquiry arises. Was this the place to which Nephi led his company when they separated from Laman and Lemuel and their adherents? The record informs us that when they fled from their wicked brethren, they journeyed for many days, and they pitched their tents, and Nephi says, My people would that they should call the name of the place Nephi. Wherefore, we did call it Nephi. Nearly 400 years after this, we find in the book of Omni, verse 12, Behold, I will speak unto you somewhat concerning Mosiah, who was made king over the land of Zarahemla. For behold, 
he being warned of the Lord that he should flee out of the land of Nephi, and as many as would hearken unto the voice of the Lord should also depart out of the land with him into the wilderness. It appears clear that this name of Nephi was a general name for a large region of country, which comprised within its borders many smaller divisions known by various names. We infer this from the record, for Zenith, upon his return to that which he calls the land of our fathers, had the liberty given him to occupy two places or divisions, which he called the land of Lehi-Nephi and the land of Shilom. Adjoining these was a portion of country known as the land of Shemlon, which the Lamanites retained in their possession. In the borders of the country occupied by Zenith and his Nephite people was a place called Mormon. It was after this place that the great prophet and general of the Nephite nation, who led the hosts in the last great conflict, was called. He himself speaks of it as the land of Mormon. So it appears plain that there were many local divisions in the region which the Nephites had occupied. We see that those whom Nephi led away from his wicked brethren called the first place where they settled Nephi and themselves Nephites. Would not the same reasons prompt the nation as it increased and spread over the land to call the whole region which it occupied, embracing all its local divisions, Nephi or the land of Nephi, as its great distinguishing name? From the point where Nephi first settled, it is quite likely his people extended to the northward, for in that direction they had room to spread, without coming in contact with the Lamanites. In this way, the limits of the land of Nephi would be enlarged. Our own history in these mountains shows how this would be done. The Latter-day Saints came to the land we now call Utah 34 years ago. Salt Lake City was then settled. Since 1847, we have spread over a large extent of country. But this is a brief space compared with the centuries which elapsed from the time that Nephi and his company fled from his brethren to the departure of Mosiah and his company into the wilderness when they found Zarahemla. Though in the beginning the Nephites were but few in number, it is easy to understand that in the space of nearly 400 years, they would become quite numerous. We are told that when 200 years had elapsed, they had waxed strong in the land, as were also the Lamanites. Were not the cities of Lehi, Nephi, and Shilom, and the lands bearing those names, some of the most northern in the Nephite settlements? There was a country stretching to the south of those cities and lands known by the general name of Nephi, which they had occupied and from which they doubtless receded through the pressure of the Lamanites upon them from the south during the long period of time concerning which we have such brief mention. We know that the place where Lehi and his people landed on the continent was in the 30 degrees of south latitude. Between this point and the southern boundary of Ecuador is a space of 26 degrees of latitude and includes the choice and desirable countries now known as the northern part of Chile and Bolivia and Peru countries admirably adapted for the settlement and defense of a people like the Nephites. The question arises, did Nephi and his people traverse this great distance when he separated himself from his brethren? When Nephi and his people fled, they were followed before long by the Lamanites, for it appears that it was but a short period until Nephi manufactured swords after the fashion of the sword of Laban for his people to use in defending themselves against the attacks of the Lamanites. When forty years had elapsed, Nephi informs us there had been wars and contentions between the two peoples. And Jacob, in speaking of his brother Nephi, and that which he had done for his people and their love for him, says that he had wielded the sword of Laban in their defense. Jacob and Enos, his son, speak of the Lamanites in such a manner as to leave no doubt they, 
and the whole Nephite people were familiar with them and their modes of life, and that they tried to teach them. Whatever the distance, therefore, may have been that Nephi and his company fled, the Lamanites must have made the same journey not long after. Nephi informs us that they journeyed in the wilderness for the space of many days before they reached the place they called after his own name. His description of it leaves no doubt as to its fertility, its advantage for grazing, its abundance of timber, and its great mineral wealth. Besides the common metals, he speaks of gold and silver and other precious ores as being in great abundance. Traveling as they did, a company of men, women, and children with tents and other baggage, it would have required a journey of very many days from their place of landing to get beyond the confines of what is now called Chile into Bolivia. In the lands now known as Bolivia and Peru, places can be found which correspond exactly with the description of the place of settlement given in the record, particularly in the abundance of the precious metals. These countries have not been excelled, even in our day, in the yield of these ores by any country in the world. Some of their mines are world-renowned, and within their borders, places of great natural strength, which could be easily fortified against the incursions of a savage foe, and are very numerous. Commencing their settlements here, and calling the land Nephi and themselves Nephites, they whom Nephi led could spread to the northward, as they increased, and necessity required, still applying the general name of Nephi to the whole country, but distinguishing their cities and settlements and subdivisions by the names of their founders, as was their custom, or by other names that circumstances might suggest, until they reached in the days of Mosiah as far north as what is known as Ecuador, and had cities there, near the wilderness on the north, known as Nephi, or Lehi-Nephi, Shilom, Shemlon, etc. Another reason also causes this view to appear probable. Nephi and his company could scarcely have settled at a point 22 days' journey from Zarahemla without their descendants, scattered as they were upon the face of the land, coming in contact with the Zarahemlaites at an earlier date than the days of Mosiah, even though the people of Zarahemla may not have long resided at the point where he found them. It does not appear probable that if the city of Nephi, or Lehi-Nephi as it is sometimes called, had been the city founded by the first Nephi, there would have been a wilderness so close to it on the earth, as there appears from the record to have been after 400 years had elapsed. In the description of the boundaries of the lands occupied by the Nephites and the Lamanites, it is stated that the more idle part of the Lamanites lived in the wilderness and dwelt in tents, and they were spread through the wilderness on the west in the land of Nephi, yea, and also on the west of the land of Zarahemla, in the borders by the seashore, and on the west in the land of Nephi, in the places of their father's first inheritance, and thus bordering along by the seashore. Here are two allusions to the land of Nephi, and without desiring to favor any particular theory or to strain the language to sustain any special views, it conveys to us the idea, when taken in connection with other facts contained in the record, that the land of Nephi was, as we have said, an extensive region embracing at least the west side of the continent with the Pacific shore for some distance to the south, and perhaps embracing within its boundaries the whole of the south continent outside of the limits of Zarahemla. In the same chapter, verse 34, the same idea is clearly expressed in the language that the Lamanites could have no more possessions only in the land of Nephi and the wilderness round about. And this, too, at a time when the whole continent south of the line of the land of Zarahemla was either in possession of the Lamanites or open to them. It must not be forgotten, however, 
that what is now known in geography as South America was called Lehi, and North America was called Mulek by the Nephites. Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions podcast from the archives of Book of Mormon Central. For the latest information on additions to the Book of Mormon Central archive, or to inquire about archive items like this one, visit us online at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org.